welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today in the show, we talk with Dr. Matt Smith about all things ADHD. Um, we do a deep dive into ADHD, so everything from what's happening in the brain um, and, and how we know what ADHD is, all the way to ways to support your um, elementary school middle school, teens, young adults, as they um, deal with ADHD. And so it's a great, great episode and one that um, we really really enjoyed recording because I have ADHD. So um, it was fascinating even for myself to hear. And so uh, Dr. Matt Smith and I did record this on a Zoom call while I was in the car. And that is because there was a fire alarm in our studio. So you'll hear that early on, but um, a great, great conversation, one that is extremely helpful. So here he is now, without any further ado, Dr. Matt Smith. Well, we're here today in our uh, improvised Empowered to Connect studio, which is uh, my car in the Starbucks parking lot, because uh, currently in our studio, the fire alarm is going off. And so we're going to figure out what that's about. Um, But I didn't stick around to find out. I wanted to go ahead and get uh, to the remote studio so that Matt and I could talk today. But um, Dr. Matt Smith is um, uh, a lot of different things to us. For me personally, he is a co-worker um, at Memphis Family Connection Center and does um, oversees all of our clinical um, uh, clinical people at the uh, center. So Matt, thanks for being here. And then also um, maybe as a good starting point for people who don't know you yet, um, would you just kind of share who you are and um, and how you got into this line of work. Yeah, I mean, um, so I am the clinical director of counseling at MFCC. Uh, and uh, I I kind of got into it as, as sort of a, a, a calling, you know, I thought that I would probably go into ministry at some point and I felt like I had gifts that were in line with counseling and people helping and uh, and, and, and eventually I wound up going to, uh, grad school in clinical psychology and got my degree, but I've kind of had a blend, uh, over my career of, uh, church-based counseling and then, uh, private practice in a group setting. And then now at, uh, at Memphis Family Connection Center. And also kind of crossing over a little bit with uh, with Empower to Connect and doing some uh, doing some some care and well-being for the for the staff uh, of, of ETC as larger group. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, we all appreciate your work here. You know that. But um, for those of you who are listening, um, as we were thinking through this series in the new year, um, we were talking about. Um, who we could have to talk about ADHD. And the first name mentioned was Dr. Matt Smith. And so we um, arranged this and full disclosure, had a whole conversation about this already. And then um, the file got corrupted in our soundboard. And so clearly there is a message here for the people to hear that that uh, I would say like the enemy is trying to disrupt. And so we're going to push forward to get this message out. Um, obviously this topic, talking about ADHD um, is personal for me as somebody who has ADHD, but also um, 
as a parent, I feel like I am seeing us now kind of walking into an era where there's a, as much awareness of it as there's ever been before and as much um, normalizing and kind of destigmatizing of ADHD. And for the people who kind of grew up maybe in the same era that I did, and I'm not sure if it was talked about this way for you as well, but um, ADHD was kind of the, you can't control your kids or you're just hyper um, diagnosis. It, it was yeah. viewed as, at least in, you know, in my household for a while, viewed as a fake thing. Like, oh, yeah. you have trouble paying attention or you're too hyper. Like, it's not that you're a, you know, you're, yeah. you've got something going on that you need help with. It's that you're a bad kid. Like you're too, mm. you're too wound up and your parents aren't disciplining you enough. And, um, yeah. and to be very extremely clear, that is a wrong point of view. <laughs> Um, and yeah. so I learned that later on as somebody who got diagnosed as a, you know, 23 year old, um, I, I was, I was shocked at how, um, how much of a difference treatment counseling, all those things made for me, um, as I, as I began to wrestle with it. So why don't we start off with just explaining at the most basic level, what, what is ADHD? What's going on in the brain? How does it yeah. appear? All of that. Right. So so before before getting right into that, uh, JD, let me also say this is personal for me also, not because I have ADHD, but because I have children who have it. I'm I'm an yeah. adoptive father of four, and uh, and and several of my kids have it, and it just kind of manifests a little differently in each child but yeah. there are some things that are fairly common uh among um among most people who have ADHD and so the the hallmarks of it are uh and, and these are kind of the best known features in the culture too are problems with attention and there are there's usually some element of hyperactivity or restlessness in there and then there is impulsivity uh, and that the the hyperactivity and impulsivity are usually seen more in children uh, and those aren't as noticeable in uh, maybe older teens and adults uh, but yeah those are those are the the hallmark struggles that a lot of times will alert parents and make them think, oh, you know, we might need to do some evaluation or at least consultation uh, about this. Right. So if you could explain to us kind of the, the science of like, where, where is the disconnect, so to speak, in the brain? Like what, what is actually happening neurologically right. that, that causes this to happen? Yeah. So the interesting thing about it is we don't know exactly what's going on <laughs> neurologically. We oh. know that it has. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, we know that it has something to do with dopamine regulation. And that's why medications that uh, that stimulate dopamine in the brain and, and increase the levels of dopamine in the brain are usually pretty effective uh, at at treating ADHD. But we know there are more there are more systems, there are more neurotransmitters that are involved in just dopamine. It's not it's not simply a dopamine deficit disorder or we would probably call it that. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 multisystemic if you want to look at it from a from a brain perspective. OK, well, uh, you know, I'll just have to 
keep working on finding out who knows the answer to that question. It is, yeah, it is so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it is so interesting how uh, that it's interesting to me how that can happen, right? There's something that so many people over such a long period of time have struggled with in a particular way that we do seem to have a very firm understanding of how to treat, right? And yet, we're not able to trace completely or identify completely how, you know, what, what the origins of it are in the brain, or there's different origins in different people, which is fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's also evident by sometimes response to medication because there, there are, uh, there's, there's a subset of people that don't respond well to the, uh, the stimulant medicine, sometimes they might respond better to an antidepressant or uh, something that addresses other, other neurotransmitters uh, like uh, uh, serotonin or norepinephrine. So uh, a, a per, two people having the same symptom set could respond differently to, uh, to the same medicine. Which I would imagine is why, as a parent, it's you know vastly important to to kind of understand all that you can understand about it and all the different treatment options and how to even go about seeking those out. Um, so why don't before we get there, why why don't we you know we talked about some of the hallmark signs of what it looks like. Let's stick to uh, let's say elementary age kids for right now. Um, you know, when you're looking for signs of this, um, besides the big, the big kind of flashing lights that you see, that you mentioned earlier, those kind of hallmark signs, are there, are there things that are maybe smaller and more subtle that we might be able to, to pick up on or see to differentiate it from some other, you know, ideas? Yeah. So, you know, it, there, there are some people, and I would probably include myself in this in this set that uh, that think that the, even the name attention deficit disorder or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is not really adequate to describe what's going on because that does point attention to <laughs> the attentional process, right? And so sometimes we get. Uh, we, we get focused on just the attentional part. And then we think, well, uh, as long as my kid is paying attention, okay, then they don't really have ADD, right? But there are, and, and then sometimes we think, well, even if they do have that, that's really, that's, that's really all we need to treat or all we need to worry about. Um, when in reality, uh, a lot of people, if not most people, have a, another set of symptoms that seems to be kind of, you know, below the water. Some people use the, you know, kind of the iceberg uh, model approach. If you were to Google, right. you know, iceberg model of ADHD, you would see all the the typical symptoms above the water. And then underneath the water is this whole syndrome of symptoms that most people don't know are associated with ADHD, but, but very likely uh, are uh, in a lot of people. So you look at things like, um, say, emotional regulation or um, or sleep problems uh, and, and and you start to see that oh yeah th these things anger anger management um, you know just highly uh, highly charged responses to anger that seem kind of disproportionate to the precipitating event right or the trigger event 
And uh, so a lot of that goes with um, with ADHD also, in addition to, um, I would say another huge one is executive function. So you, you think about organization and in a child uh, not being able to follow multi-step instructions, um, like go upstairs and brush your teeth and get in the bed and I'll be up to tuck you in. And uh, the child might make it upstairs, but when you go upstairs to tuck them in, have they brushed their teeth? No. Have they ever been, have they even made it to the bathroom yet? No. You walk right. in the room and they're playing with leggings. So, uh, and that's, that's not a, well, I just wanted to play with Legos, so I ignored what you said. No, I the child went up the stairs and they got to the top of the stairs and they were walking by their room and saw the Legos and that's right. Yeah. Started playing with Legos and forgot that they were supposed to be brushing their teeth. That's that's a problem with executive function. That I think is really helpful. And you know, one of the things that we talk about all the time in our, our parenting curriculum, Cultivate Connection, is trying to see the need behind the behavior. That, I mean, that exact example with a few different directional changes, right? First floor, set, second floor. That, that is yeah. a that is a reminder that I needed today in this moment <laughs> to, to be able to isolate because it is so easy in a moment to, you know, out of frustration, you know, at the end of a long day, walk in to find the kid playing with Legos, so to speak, and just be like, what are you doing? Why? And to forget yeah, yeah. that there is a literal disconnect happening in the brain from uh, step one to step two or step two to step three, whatever. And so um, yeah. I, one thing that I, I find is the most helpful tool for me is simply just remembering that, right? Like just remembering that that is a fact helps me when I have that, you know, that response kind of welling up in me to go, okay, he's doing the best he can right now. She's doing the best she can right now. Mm -hmm. And I, mm -hmm. I can remind her and let me see by the reaction, whether or not any further, like any further, you know, discipline is needed. And sometimes the reaction is, yeah, I just want to play PS4. I just wanted to go to sleep, whatever. I, I didn't want to have to brush my teeth. Then we can deal with that. But a lot of yeah. times you find the response being like, uh, if you come in gently, to that situation, mm -hmm. the response is like, oh my gosh, you're right. I totally mm -hmm. forgot. I'll go mm -hmm. do that now, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. You know, as you move into, into teens, I'd imagine this particular like executive function deal uh, shows up in pretty, um, I was going to say frustrating ways, but you know, shows up in some pretty prominent ways is probably a better way to put it. Um, yeah. Are there other things, are there other things with that that you see in teens that are signs of ADHD in this way? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes what you'll see is, uh, is, is anxiety. Um, so a lot of kids when they're in school and when they start to realize that school is kind of a big deal, like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's important <laughs> to get decent grades and all that. Uh, they'll realize that they're struggling with some aspects of school. They may be struggling with their, uh, their, their reading comprehension, their, uh, their reading speed. Um, you know, just thinking about executive function. Another thing that happens a lot of times with, uh, with students that have ADHD is they, uh, they forget to turn in their homework. So 
you as the parent, you may be staying up uh, well beyond, you know, or, or spending a, a lot more time than you should be on right. helping them with homework. Uh, and they they're just moving slowly, whatever. And finally, you get it all done, and they go to school, and then they forget to turn it in. <laughs> and you you don't know that as the parent until you know maybe a grade report comes out or you see something online. And it's like, wait a minute, why why is there a zero on that homework assignment that we had so much trouble with, but we finally finished? And and it's like uh, you ask them, and they say, I don't know, and uh, I, I I turned it in, <laughs> and then. You go looking around and it's like, wait, it's still in their backpack or it's still in their folder or, you know, whatever yes. with, with a bunch of other homework that they right. haven't turned in. And oh, it's, again, it's man. just that, yeah, it's that stepwise process of, uh, they, they got to school, something got, something distracted them. Um, they missed the prompt to turn in their homework, or maybe there is no prompt. Maybe there's just a basket on the teacher's desk and they're not paying attention to yeah. that. And so it, it doesn't get turned in. And so you see, you see a lot of these type things happen, uh, in the, in the school age and then even into the, you know, the teen years. Um, um I will, I will make sure that my wife does not listen to this. It'll be PTSD for her to listen to that part of this podcast. Yeah. I mean, if that's, yeah. that is just is a perfect descriptor of my um, academic life, like both in high school and in college, just um, forgetting to turn stuff in or for genuinely forgetting to do assignments, you know, because of X, Y, or Z organizational problem I had. Um, and so um, I'm hearing you say in this that like, um, prior treatment may have saved a whole lot of uh, gray hair, stress, et cetera, from our family. Um, I mean, and we deal with that now too, as parents, like it's, it is uh, both good. It's, it's good and haunting to, to go through homework issues now and see what it feels like on the other side. Right. Like I was, I was a kid giving my parents the, you know, the anxiety attacks late at night. And then now I am like living that back out and it does breed a different type of empathy than I would normally have had for this. Right. But I don't necessarily want that empathy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so right. let's, so let's talk about for, for families who are either groaning with us in this or, or laughing or, or just feeling like, okay, all you're doing is just pushing, you know, you're, you're twisting the knife right now. This in my side, mm. Um, why don't we talk about some, some kind of everyday sort of support systems that can be put in place, um, to help our kids like both learn to thrive, but also, um, learn how to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you've already kind of touched on, uh, one of the big ones and that is having empathy for your child and, uh, not, not treating it as if it's some kind of choice that they're making you're you know you're you're making a choice to be lazy or irresponsible or you know fill in the blank they they need to know yeah. that you're you're their ally in this um if I, I think it's actually good for parents to explain to their kids like hey this is not um this this is not all your fault like your brain sometimes uh messes up it misfires on you. And uh, now rather than us trying to run from 
that or run from the consequences of that. Let's let's figure out a way to face this together. And so, oh, so you know, cool. you can. Yeah. And 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 then you can put some some fail safes, I think, in place, uh, maybe multiple layers of fail safes so that we make sure that you know, homework gets turned in and we have accountability with the teacher and the teacher's aware. A lot of parents want to, uh, I think, I, I, I won't try to go into all of the motivations for this, but a lot of times they don't communicate with the school about these issues. Maybe they'd rather, they, they don't want their, some of them don't want their child to be treated differently. That's um, right. Than other kids. Right. They don't want their kid in a box. They don't want their child to be stigmatized. Um, they they feel like maybe, you know, if they just keep it in the family, we can we can figure out a way to do some workarounds and overcome this. And in some instances, that may be the case. But I think by and large, it needs to be a collective effort between the parent and the child and the teacher or teachers to have some uh, some some mutual accountability and structures in place, uh, so that's that's one thing. Uh, another thing that we can do is uh, we 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 always talk about in our in our clinic and around ETC. We talk about the empowerment piece, which also which really focuses on uh, taking care of the the body. Right. So um, it really helps if a child can get adequate sleep, if they're eating on a regular schedule, if they're getting enough exercise. Um, a lot of these kids are going to school all day and whether they have medicine or they don't have medicine, they're having to hold it together in this structured That's environment. Right. And then they're coming home and then having to do another hour or two of homework and their homework may take longer for them than other kids. So they need that break. Most of them need that break when they come home. They need to they need to be able to run around and, you know, climb trees and do all the, you know, all the fun, crazy stuff that kids like to do. <laughs> and uh, that's, yeah, that's really helpful. I, I think, you know, that is another thing that's really easily overlooked because we don't see the disconnect and, and kind of. Uh, you know, whatever school of thought you're coming from parenting wise, um, you know, it was a uh, it was much more normative to have a, a break from school as a kid, you, you know, generations ago where you'd be able to come home and either go out to help with work at the house and kind of use your body being outside. Um, you know, for my grandfather, it was like going straight from home to the farm to go help, you know, pick crops and stuff. Um, but whatever the case be, it, it was much more normative to have that period of break. Whereas now, I mean, I think about our kids schedule and it is, it is mapped out oftentimes, you know, from 7am until 830, 930 mm -hmm. you know, at night with activities and sports and all of that. Um, and then coming straight back home after those things to like continue the grind and homework, which is a nightmare. And so, um, you know, I think about 
how easy it is to overlook that. And then also how easy it is to slip some stuff in to, to help with that, right? Like to, to slip a 30 minute intentional break in, you know, when you get home, like, okay, for the next 30 minutes, no screens, no, no looking at your computers or at your you know grades or any of that, like get outside and run around for a minute. Um, yeah. and, you know, we've got a big, long hallway. We have, we live in an old house. So we have one long hallway down, um, that's just an, oddly wide hallway and so you know you used to be we would get this if it was raining outside getting scooters and just to be able to get that sensory input like send them on scooter races up and down the hallway um so it doesn't have to be some kind you don't have to live you know out in the out in the country with a bunch of land and stuff you you can find ways to get your kids moving in a bunch of a bunch of different settings um Uh, others so especially thinking for you know our our younger for our younger um parents of uh, or parents of younger kids who are listening to this like um are there some of those some of those ways that you can kind of therapeutically trick your kids um into kind of some brain help at those younger ages and to establish some healthy rhythms um i don't i don't know i don't know about uh, tricking them <laughs> necessarily, but uh, I do think that you know it, it. It probably helps to utilize some uh, just child-led play at times, uh, where you're like you said, you get them, you get them away from the screens, and then uh, maybe, maybe, maybe pull some things out and see what they're. Uh, see what they're interested in or see if you can get them interested in uh, some of them will gravitate toward say, you know, building games, uh, Legos, that sort of thing where they're maybe it's, maybe it's more, you know, collaborative where you're not competing with each other. Uh, Maybe you're building something together and others might do well with a, a game that is lightly competitive, but, uh, has some elements of uh, recognition and memory, even things like Candyland. I mean, you know, I know parents yeah. out there are probably rolling their eyes like, oh my God, if I play <laughs> another game of Candyland, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a reason that we have some of these games around the office because yeah. Uh, yeah. these are healthy ways to engage your child, um, any, any kind of play. I mean, somebody said, I think, you know, play is the business of childhood or something like that. Like it's their, it's their job to play because that's actually what helps their brain develop. Uh, and if you, if you're too dependent on, uh, just sitting them down in front of a video or, um, you know, the TV screen, um, that that's, that's not going to be balanced for them as far as their neurological stimulation. Um, I'm not saying never do that because, Hey, look, sometimes you need a break as a parent or you've got to fix dinner and, you know, you need to make sure that, you know, your kids occupied and not doing something, you know, dangerous, uh, you know, playing on the roof or something. (laughs) So they need to be doing something quiet that, you know, has them focused and you know where they are, but, uh, but but we've got to have a balance. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, well, thinking about kind of the same principles, um, you are, you are fresher off of having teens, um, and supporting teens and, and now young adults in this, um, 
kind of in this way. What what did you guys find to be some of the helpful kind of systems and rhythms that you put into place parenting your teens this way? Yeah, so um, there are there are some challenges with that, right? And and this is this is kind of maybe going back to you know earlier in the conversation we were talking about what what are some things that are kind of you know under the surface that you might see with teens that you don't necessarily associate with ADHD. Well, you know there are there are issues with uh, you know emotional regulation, anxiety. Uh, sleep. Um, you know, you think at a certain age, you, you, you'd be kind of like, hey, I'm just going to trust them to get off their phone and, and go to bed. And, uh, you know, they can just suffer the consequences if they uh, if they stay up too late, because because they'll they'll feel the burn the next day and they'll learn and they won't do that again. Um, not so much true. Right. right. <laughs> uh, that's it's, it's usually good to kind of keep your hand on the wheel a little bit. A lot of parents, um, I think, make the mistake of, and it's an easy mistake to make, and I sympathize with it, that we make the mistake of thinking, well, they're going to be 18 soon, or they're going to be 20 soon, or whatever, and they're going to have to learn to manage their own life anyway, so... Um, so I need to give them some experience at managing their own life now and not just do everything for them or constantly remind them of what they're supposed to do. And I, again, I would look for balance there. Uh, I, so I don't like like I would not just say, OK, you're in ninth grade now. You're going to have to figure it out and you're, you're just going to have to right. your score on your own. Um, no, keep, keep your hand on the wheel, check, check with them, you know, go. And when you go to bed, check and see what they're doing, um, have a specific time where they need to turn their phone in at night so they can get, so they can get some sleep, um, having screens on, you know, that, that blue light or whatever it is, that spectrum light going into your eyes and, you know, suppress your ability to go to sleep. So um, if they need something to help them sleep, like uh, like melatonin or something else, um, uh, some vitamin supplements or whatever that that will help them relax, uh, do that. Consult their consult their pediatrician um, about those things, and don't just think to yourself, "Well, that's just kind of you know normal teen behavior, and you know they'll figure it out in due time." They might not, and uh, they they need that support. So so give them that support and help them as long as you as as, as long as they're under your roof. Um, and That's so great. you know, e- even even as young adults, we you know we're we're still you know we're just lightly asking the questions a lot of times. But right. uh, you know, hey, did you take care of this? Did you take care of that? You know, you've got this event yeah. tomorrow. Did you make sure that you have clean clothes for that? You know, <laughs> and hopefully they don't get too irritated with it. Um, right. And usually right. they don't. Usually they don't. So, yeah. um, you know, what what do you do you tend to have advice that you give um, families you're working with? in terms of talking to teachers at school or, or how to handle the school conversation, or does it, do, do you really kind of defer more to your, your, your child's personality? How do you typically give advice in that department for this? Yeah. So uh, it's, um, 
I, I wouldn't say there's uh, like a like a specific script for for talking to a teacher. Um, a lot of times you can tell by say a note home or or now it would probably be an email or you know something through the school portal or whatever where you can check their grades. Um, you can uh, sometimes just pick up how how much a teacher kind of gets your kid um, or how much they don't. But uh, I, I do encourage, I would say on the whole, I encourage parents to uh, talk to the teacher with all that, pretty much all that you know about your child. Like if you know your child has ADHD or you know they have trouble with certain aspects of school, um, typically, or they take a long time to do homework or whatever, just getting that information to the teacher as soon as possible. I think most teachers really appreciate that information. Um, and they, they don't, they don't mind the parent being proactive with that at all and saying, yeah. look, if you want, if you want little Johnny to do his best this year, <laughs> these are the things that you're, you know, you're probably going to need to do to support him. And then, of course, there are more formal approaches like, uh, you know, 504 plans and individualized education plans, IEPs, as we call them, that are uh, that require, you know, the the teacher and possibly others in the school to make accommodations and give services uh, to your child. Uh, but I, I think that teachers, uh, just like you said at the beginning, you know, of the episode here, uh, there's there's more awareness, there's less stigmatization of these issues yeah. than there's ever been. And a lot of teachers are very aware of these things. They've seen them. Um, if, if anything, I would say the teachers often have a, a, a bigger challenge in terms of talking to parents about, hey, I'm seeing some things that look like, you know, could be a problem. Yeah. A lot of times teachers are restricted in terms of what they can say. They can't they can't yeah. diagnose ADHD as a teacher and they have to right. be careful about how they talk to parents about that. But uh, again, I think just a mentality of let me try to build an alliance with the teacher or yeah. set of teachers uh, so that we can all be on the same page, you know, helping, helping yeah. my child. That's the best, the best attitude to have uh, going in. Um, kind of last question here as we head for home, maybe along those same lines, but at the very beginning of this process, how do you talk to your kids about this and explain this to them without building in this like a self-consciousness or a, um, a, you know, kind of self-confidence downer, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's good to, uh, and, and again, it's, it's, it depends on what age you start to see these things, uh, these things emerge. And if you, if you have struggled with it yourself, um, I, I think it actually helps to be able to say, hey, to tell them, you know, hey, I struggled with this, too. Uh, and, right. and here's, you know, here's here's what here's kind of what happened to me um, and just help them understand I'm going to I'm going to handle you differently. 
uh, than than people handled me with my issues because they didn't realize that yeah. I couldn't help it, right? And I realized that there's a lot of this that that you can't help. Um, so, yeah, again, it, it does kind of get back to empathy. There are. I can't I can't name you one off the top of my head right now, but I know there are resources for uh, parents to read through with their children. There are uh, websites, the uh, the the Chad, dot O-R-G, I think it is. The Chad organization has a lot of resources okay. and books on their uh, website. And there are others. There are others, too. Um, but. That, that just, you know, let your child learn um, about ADHD at an age-appropriate level um, so that they know that it's not something, again, they're not, it's it's not a moral deficit. It's not, right. it's not laziness. It's not, I'm choosing to be irresponsible. Um, these are just some challenges that I have. And I also try to make a point of helping parents understand that, um, I really wish we called it something like attention regulation disorder because it's not always a deficit right. of attention. It's not that, that these kids or adults can't pay attention. It's that they don't pay attention to the right things at the right time. Golly, um, yes. A lot of it, a lot of times. they, A, a lot of people who have ADHD can, can hyper-focus uh, really well <laughs> where you can't pull them off can, of what they're doing. And, yes. Yeah. And once they're on that track, they can get so much done and they can do it better than a person that doesn't have ADHD. So it's kind of like, it's like a superpower that has weaknesses associated with it on the, you know, on the yeah. other side. So helping them understand that the way that they focus and the times that they are able to focus are different than, mm-hmm. uh, than other people, but, but that we're going to try to, um, to take advantage of your, you know, quote, superpower when we can, yeah. and we're going to try to help you deal with the aspects of this that actually are, are not so great. Yeah. Um, Matt, this has been super helpful for me again. And, um, and I know I, I would imagine for everybody listening as well, any last, um, any last thoughts on the topic before we close out today? Um, n- nothing in particular that's, that's standing out now, as soon as, you know, we get off the, the podcast here, I'll think of, you know, five things that I probably should say. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we'll just come back to those in another you know sure. in another episode if we need to uh, that sounds great yeah yeah sounds well thanks too. thanks for joining us I really appreciate it yeah thanks JD thanks for having me Well, again, a huge thanks to Dr. Matt Smith for joining us and uh, that idea of uh, remembering that kids who are uh, struggling with kind of the effects of ADHD and whether that's showing up in schoolwork or in um, forgotten household tasks or whatever, um, the reminder that that's not something they are trying intentionally to do um, just to make us mad. Like that is a reminder that I needed 
uh, this weekend. So as, as <laughs> we recorded the episode, um, previously, and, and I was thinking about it this weekend, knowing that it was going to drop this morning. Um, it was extremely, extremely helpful for me, um, just as a parent. And so hopefully this will be helpful information for you as well. Um, we are going to deep dive into several more topics, um, that, uh, we believe is going to be, um, hugely beneficial to you. And so, um, we're excited to get those episodes out. We can't wait to be able to, um, share them with you. We got some great, great content on the way. And so, uh, for everybody here at Empower to Connect for the Ottingers, for um, Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empower to Connect podcast. I'm JD Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empower to Connect podcast.